welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio, a podcast devoted to examining successful marketing strategies driving new business development at law firms from the largest international firm to the solo attorney. The podcast is a production of Picture More Business, a corporate photography studio with a core focus on the legal industry. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of the Legal Marketing Studio. In this episode, I am joined by Gregory Fleischman, Chief Marketing Officer at Lowenstein Sandler, LLP, who has over 25 years of experience developing integrated marketing, business development, and communication programs for organizations in professional services, including consulting and legal firms, healthcare, financial services, technology, and higher education. Greg, welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio. Thanks. It's great to be here. So we're nominally going to talk about bringing salespeople into law firms, but I felt like it might be good to start by taking a step back and just looking at sort of where you draw the lines on the continuum between marketing, business development, and then more direct sales. Sure. There's a lot of ways to answer that question. I think all of those, if you, if you look at, say, marketing, communications, and business development as, and if you just go with me, if those are the three f- primary functional components of a marketing department, big M, marketing department, marketing for me is very simply is the things that we do to raise the profile of the firm and position lawyers to go out and get work. That could be brand awareness. That could even be sales support. The things that people will do to help lawyers go out and and have good meetings and help them with messaging or help represent the entire firm when they go to the meeting, not just their individual practice area. Those are things that the quote-unquote marketing side of the house absolutely contribute to. Communications is, um, you know, predominantly you could just sort of say is in the realm of internal and external communications. It's the PR function. It's the media relations piece. It's certainly editorial, very important, which feeds into that. So marketing and communications very much intertwined. But I would take this further. So if you look at business development, often business development in a law firm context is frankly a misnomer. Because if you look at other industries, business development is basically sales, okay? The salespeople at a law firm are the lawyers. Okay, that, that, that's predominantly what happens, and we'll talk about how that's evolving. Um, so when we say business development, in so many cases at law firms, you, you really get into a murky area. Because the expectation on the law firm side will be, Okay, the marketing folks are doing the profile raising and they're doing our website and our social media and managing our media relations and that's all great. But I really need someone who understands the business and can really help our lawyers target the right kinds of clients and help them get them out the door, position them really well so they can be effective salespeople. So that's not business development. I mean, that's, that's, that's sales support or business development support or sales enablement or any other number of uh, sort of uh, catchphrases and ways to describe that. In many, many cases, in most cases at law firms, we're not talking about people that are market-facing, client-facing, representing the firm. And I think that's the topic of this conversation today is that that, that has been changing. It's, this is not a brand new thing, but I will argue that certainly in the last couple of years, you're seeing quite an acceleration. And there are more and more bona fide examples of law firms really investing and trying to bring in that type of person, someone with bona fide subject matter knowledge to come in and both represent the firm out in the market and 
in a, in a very targeted, strategic way, really help the lawyers go figure out what's the best way for them to spend their time in doing business development. Not just, as I was describing before, which is a reactionary thing. I've got a client meeting, do some research on the client and give me a pitch book or give me, you know, give me a dossier of the, bio, the right bios to bring to the meeting. Those are all really important things that have to happen. And I have a lot of respect for people that spend day in and day out helping the lawyers go do that. But that in and of itself is not business development. That I would put in the category of sales support. For the firms that you've seen do this, what are the, the, the key instigators that have pushed them over the edge to going beyond that reactive support kind of role towards a more proactive sales role? And whether, whether that's the attorneys themselves becoming more proactive about it or bringing in you know, specific salespeople in that role? I find that one of the biggest instigators is a, an ongoing failure to see results that the firms wanted by investing in these resources. And interestingly, I think a lot of firms will see, and as I was describing before, you know, marketing are the folks that do the website and the social media and you know, might put our pitch books together. Um, but what we really need, as we see in other industries, right, is support in doing things that lawyers, listen, lawyers have to deliver work and satisfy clients. And number one marketing job in the firm is do good work, which sounds extremely obvious. But if you don't do good work, <laughs> we're, you know, nothing, things just don't go anywhere. So the, I'm very happy for the lawyers to spend their time focused on serving their clients. And, but what ends up happening when the law firm is busy, when the, when the practices are thriving, is the lawyers just don't have time to do, the, to do the stuff of business development. There's a reason why it's a full-time job. Business development and sales is not something that you do a little bit here and there. Uh, I mean, not, as, not to be successful in, in doing it. And so, so they have this desire to say, well, business development is now more important. And frankly, they might even raid their resources in marketing to say, now we're going to do more business development. If you raid marketing to hire people to do business development, you're just going to be stuck with who's, who's supposed to do those other things, which are critically important. I mean, business development is not in and of itself the higher value thing higher value than marketing. Business development doesn't happen without the other marketing and communications functions. There's no way to do it without that. But inevitably, they'll say, we're going to invest in business development. And we're going we're gonna to hire some people who fit that bill, you know, subject matter knowledge and just seem to be business savvy oriented, but we're not putting them out in the market. So we're, they're going to be the enablers that I described before. And, you know, if particularly when when times are not as good. I mean, we've seen a pretty good run-up in the last few years, and you can look at the AMLAW results. Obviously, there are many firms doing pretty well, both from a revenue growth and profitability perspective. But if you try to attribute what is the contribution of the business development team to that, and then when times are bad, when you look at what are we getting from our business development effort, you, you can't find the correlations to real business growth. I mean, you find lawyers who say, I really need those people to support me, but if your goal was those people are really going to demonstrably drive new revenue opportunity, they come up short. And there's two ways to go with that. One is try to redefine sort of the way the department works or maybe decide that you're not going to 
invest the same level of money and you've I've literally seen firms go backward from there. Oh, well, you know, we just really need more junior resources to just be order takers because because trying to elevate that game and find higher value doesn't work. But but many firms from there decide no we're going to dip our toe in the water of trying to bring someone who can be externally facing the way the lawyers are, have essentially that we would be comfortable representing the firm out in the market, generating leads, helping organize the effort by the lawyers to also be involved in helping go uh, capitalize on those leads and build relationships. But again, the instigation often comes from failure in efforts that they label business development, but again, they didn't start out with what we're talking about. They, they, they danced around it. One thing that comes up, and this is perhaps tangential, but I wonder if this is instigating some of changing perspectives as well. There's a lot of marketing automation tools out there, and a lot of these will, in a way, generate leads. Do you, do you see like changes in technology shifting how people are willing to use human resources in those ways? That's pretty interesting. Listen, marketing technology at law firms has certainly come a long way. Um, speaking for my own firm and, and speaking with other CMOs, you know, there are many of these tools that have not quite sufficient or almost non-existent adoption by the lawyers. So they're tools of the department, the marketing department, the business development department. And that's, that's not bad, but the investment in those tools and usually the decision to invest in those tools would start with, these are going to help the lawyers do the job of business development. And so often, there are just so many reasons why they don't, it takes a long time, I would say. It's not that they don't work. It's just, you have to understand that it's going to take a long time to see the return on the investment of the technologies and the adoption by the lawyers, to my point before, comes one person at a time, you know? And, and as they, as as lawyers do start to use CRM tools or any kind of automation tools, just even even the e- email programs, you know, sometimes we call those automation, you know, e- email. It's fine. It's fine. It's certainly part of the automation package, right, in the ecosystem. Inevitably, you know, when the lawyers want to invest their time and don't just think, I'm supposed to just hit a button and have those things happen, and they don't, so now I think it's garbage and we shouldn't have wait- spent the money. They have to, like anything, realize that you invest the money in the systems, and then that's just the beginning. I mean, it's, it's certainly a lot of money. Some of those things are a lot of money, but the investment of the time of lawyers <laughs> in engaging with those tools is actually the biggest challenge, and, and it happens one, you know, one lawyer at a time. But in some sense thought of of marketing automation tools doesn't make business development happen by itself. So you have people, process, and technology, like in everything that you try to do, and you have to look at all that. If you hire, as we were describing, salespeople, and God forbid you do it at the expense of marketing, you say, you know, we're going to reduce some marketing staff and hire more salespeople. Well, you're going to run into the same problem that we discussed before with the lawyers. Those salespeople expect and need support. <laughs> a sales support function, and that, that can be in marketing, but anything that we call sales support is absolutely necessary to enable the success of any salespeople. And again, remember, the lawyers are salespeople. So if you hire external ones, it doesn't mean you don't need the sales support. And if you hire someone who, again, you want to be out in the market all the time, you don't want them doing the things of sales support. They're very expensive people to pay to put pitch books together and do those other things. So your point before about where are the different functions, it's all an ecosystem 
that needs to work together. And I do see lawyers coming to the point that the ecosystem ending at just the enablement of the lawyers, in many cases, is just not enough. It's, it's, not, it's not unimportant. It's very important. But to be able to have a full-time person out in the market when the lawyers can't possibly be doing business development enough. There's also those attorneys who are good at business development, good at sales. And I know most, uh, I don't know if that's it's true at, at Lowenstein or not. I know a lot of the firms I work with, there's a lot of, uh, the attorneys aren't necessarily solo. They, there are teams, you know, they have their, their support structures behind them. Does it make sense as sort of a soft step towards external sales or, you know, internal sales roles for those attorneys that are good at selling to spend their time selling and having their teams do a lot of the work that they're overseeing? You know, is that, is that a soft entry point where those attorneys who are bringing in the work and owning the relationship with the client, but having perhaps other attorneys who aren't as good at selling, doing the actual work and making sure that work is done well? Is that kind of a, a structure that, that you That's think leads into it? That's interesting. I mean, and not to mention those lawyers that just don't want to do sales. I mean, many of them. It's not, it's not whether they're good at it or not. That's, that's not what they signed up for. Right? They didn't right. go through law school, and there are there's there are those lawyers that are fearful of doing it. That don't. It's not about being an extrovert or an introvert or any of that. There's just some some that didn't didn't sign up for that. Well, it's difficult. It's I don't enjoy doing it. I didn't become a photographer <laughs> to sell. Yeah, you know. And anyone, but. and I'll use the the, um, the the story of cold calling. Anyone that says they like cold calling doesn't really do it. You know, making a few phone calls a day is not cold calling and isn't going to get you anywhere, right? Now, I'm not suggesting cold calling is the kind of thing you should do. This is a relationship business. Um, but ultimately, my point about the cold calling is, you know, we don't go down a list of names that you pick out of a phone book or a directory and, and call them. But if you don't know the person, it's a cold call, <laughs> in quotes, right? It's either a warm call, a hot call, or a cold call, right? And somewhere along the way, people have to be making cold calls, meaning you're at a conference and you have to decide to go up to people and introduce yourself. And th those are things that uh, I don't think I'm going out on a limb and saying that the, that the average profile of people who went through law school to be a practicing lawyer, that is not the thing that they necessarily wanted to do or have or, or, or expected to have to do. But your point about what I'll just say, the rainmakers, and, the, and we have a lot of them, a lot of lawyers that essentially make their living doing business development and farming the work to their teams, the service partners and, and associates. Those are definitely the kind of people that you can engage well in this conversation about other external salespeople because they really understand that. And our firm, again, very entrepreneurial. So not everyone, but there is definitely a population here that do not to be, need to be taught about business development. And I said that coming in when I walked in the door, you know, like any, like any firm, you hire a new CMO and you, you think, you know, they're going to come in with the magic toolkit of things. And I said throughout the entire process, I've tried a lot of things over my 25 years and I'd love to share that with you. But if you think I'm walking in here with that idea that you never thought of, you're a very, Lowenstein Sandler's a very successful firm. Our past 10 years, our results are terrific. And that's because we have lawyers who understand business development. Full stop. I'm not here to come in and teach you. I'm here to share my experiences about the things that have worked and not worked at other organizations and partner with you and get things done, which, is, which was, I suppose, not only the right thing to say to be offered the job, because that's how the firm works, and again, very flat and not a lot of command and control, but it's, it's the kind of environment I want to be in. I, it, it, I think it's a red flag or something that a 
CMO candidate at a law firm should be careful of is, is when you're sitting with a managing partner or a COO and they say, well, we don't really know how to do this and we're looking for you to teach us, watch out because there are so many different opinions and you made this point before about what is business development and you know, just going through an interview process and sharing your views and having them nod their head and say, that sounds really smart, doesn't mean when you get in that they're going to engage in actually doing that. And I really believed, and it's pro- before I came in, and it's proven that these are there's a lot of people here that are active, very successful business developers. And, and those are the ones, interestingly, to my point earlier, that really want to engage with professionals, not just myself, but my team, and potentially externally sale- facing salespeople. Uh, the most, because they really understand what it takes to develop business. This idea of relationships keeps coming up. How early on in the process do you need to start bringing up the idea, and I say you, but I mean any marketing director, CMO, you know, how early in the process do you have to start thinking about how the relationship works between an externally facing salesperson, um, however that role gets defined, and the attorneys, whether they're the rainmakers or, or the service partners? So tell me if you think this begins to answer that question. So we, we are embarking on this. Lowenstein Sandler has not ever had what we're describing. And an opportunity came up that was, uh, and this is a great thing, I, I did not foist the idea upon the lawyers. One of them came to me and said, there was a change in my staff. And someone said, you know, what if we tried to go find dot, dot, dot. And they didn't use all the same words we're using, but this is. But I quickly understood that this is what we meant and what the opportunity was. So, like all good things, when the idea comes from them first, and you can grab upon that, that's a really positive sign. And you're looking for, and there are also certain parts of our business, certain practice areas, or depending on how a firm is organized, usually some semblance of an industry focus, a sector focus is very helpful because that would be the lens through which you could see a someone who may not be a practicing lawyer come in with real knowledge. They'll have knowledge of a sector and clients as opposed to, particularly if they are not a lawyer, they're not going to have the practice group expertise, although you could have that lens as well. So... I've really seized upon the interest in the idea of, again, as we said from the beginning, you know, really bringing in someone who can really help drive our business. You start with that premise and met an interesting array of candidates, many of whom have come through the lawyers themselves in the, converse, in the conversation about what does that really mean and what does it look like? So what happened from that beginning is I, knowing, of course, having some background in this, I sort of came up with the job description in, in the area that we were talking about which is, again, mostly a sector focus, and in this case, sort of with investment funds. So someone who's got experience with hedge funds and private equity, maybe venture. And again, there are people out there in various walks of life that have that kind of knowledge, whether they were formerly lawyers or consultants or what have you, people who worked in investment banks. I mean, there's definitely a potential pool of people, not readily identifiable that are going to come into a law firm, but at least I understand that there are people that, that are externally facing salespeople in this space. So number one, there's a pool of people to look at. And and inevitably, lawyers will start with, oh, it would be great if we found someone who has been a practicing lawyer but doesn't want to do that anymore and wants to be in a, you know help enable us and, and all of that. So they start with someone who was a lawyer will be credible, which um, I wouldn't be too cynical about that. I mean, I really get that point. In fact, in building the relationship – 
I believe the number one criteria for a candidate for a role like this is that the other lawyers like that person, which sounds very catty. But no matter what I say about their qualifications, again, my point before, if I'm foisting someone upon them, this goes nowhere. On the other hand, just because someone was an expert lawyer in this space doesn't mean they're going to be a great business developer. So it's, it's a tricky sort of uh, needle to thread. But, but there's nothing wrong with someone was, who was a lawyer who has business development capability that the other lawyers really respect. <laughs> and in fact, jumping back to my background, I did marketing at Deloitte when I was internally. So I, I worked with the consultants and salespeople, and I went out on a lot of client meetings. I was never responsible for closing new business, but I always felt that that was a great position to be in because if you throw me in a client meeting and I have knowledge of the firm, I'm not trying to sell them meaning my compensation didn't, didn't depend on my selling them in that meeting. And so that's an interesting role for me to be able to have. I can walk out of there and they don't have to buy. By the way, I think that's the right way to approach sales, right? This is, not, this is a relationship business and I'm not looking at meetings hat in hand saying, you know, please give me work. No, what I'm looking for is give me opportunity to show you value. We'll figure out the, the, the business relationship as we go, but my job is show you value. And so, so I did that for many years, while the firm, this is at Deloitte, was hiring a lot of salespeople, the main criteria being their theoretical book of business, their Rolodex, who are they going to know? And after several years of my doing marketing, I got approached to say, we think you, you, know, you could be one of our business development folks, a salesperson. And I said, wow, thank you for that. But you know, I don't really have a Rolodex of people that buy services. I don't really have the relationships. They said, no, no, no. We know who the people are. Your Rolodex is the partners at this firm. You worked with them for many years. When you call them, they pick up the phone, right? You've built trust. But my point being that the trust of the partners is kind of job number one, which goes to relationship. That if that isn't there, there's no, I just don't see success because the salespeople can't do the whole thing by themselves. You could, you could argue the salespeople aren't really the closers. It depends. There, there are, I've seen circumstances where that person who is in sales is capable of being the closer and the firm wants them to do so. But generally, they're kind of like, the model is a little more Jerry Maguire. You know, they represent the firm, know who to match potential clients with the right, with the right lawyers in the firm, and they broker, if you will, arrange the meetings and sit in on the meetings and perhaps play an ongoing role in the management of the client relationship. But they're brokering the meeting and it's really still the lawyer that has the primary relationship. I think a, a challenge there is uh, once that person brings in business and assuming whether that person closes it or they pass it to an attorney who closes it, a challenge that I see is you know, the management of that client or that account, you know, who owns it? Does the is the salesperson or whatever their role title that they're given, do they keep a hand on it or does it pass totally on to the attorneys? And as an extension of that, you know, one of the challenges that we talked about earlier also was it's hard for attorneys sometimes to let go in a way, even to be able to cross-sell within the firm. You know, just having the ownership or the project management of something or client management held by the salesperson, does that, you know, do you think that could facilitate or foster greater cross-selling? You know, what are the benefits and challenges there in terms of where ownership or, or the relationship ownership is? Sure. It's a, it's a great question, and it is really a challenge when you're thinking about building, well, either hiring someone or building an actual sales function, is you look at, there are a number of things and in different law firms, and is 
are they, do they have structure and process in place to build institutional client relationships? And that's, that's a generalization. But if you start with that, I, I think without going too far this rabbit hole that you could look at different firms and believe that some are focused on building institutional relationships and have compensation structures and various things in place that facilitate and enable cross-selling and teaming of lawyers. And then there are firms that don't have much of that. And I'll tell you, Lone Sign Sandler is definitely in the latter. Okay, we this is a place with entrepreneurial, fierce, independent spirit. We definitely have some institutional relationships, don't get me wrong. They're 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 accidental in that, you know, we start with something and a new opportunity comes and a partner brings in a trusted one of their trusted partners from another practice area and it grows. And all of a sudden you look and you look, it's an interdisciplinary relationship where we've got multiple practice groups delivering services to that and Lo and behold, that's an institutional relationship. But there's no structure driving that. So is that is that structure critical in having that sales role and bringing in a sales role? I think it's one of those markers that the firm and the potential candidate for a sales role need to be looking at is what structures are in place. So the obvious one is client teams. Does, does a firm have client teams, right? That's the point of the client team is bringing the whole firm to the client and some structure by which people from representing different parts of the firm, different practice areas, for example, come together and manage the relationship together, whether they do it well or not so well, that there's some structure for that to happen. And we've got some fledgling structures at Low Insight, and there are some firms that have really robust client teams. My former firm, Baker McKenzie, very robust client program, a very explicit list of clients, a structure for how they staff the client teams, administrative and staff support to help manage, you know, manage that. And in that environment, you can bring in a salesperson because your point about uh, compensation and client credit, right? That's a pretty poignant issue at our firm. I mean, what happens when, you know, who's the billing attorney versus the working attorneys and where does credit go and how does all that compensation get figured out? And again, I don't think any firm has this down or maybe, maybe there are some that have it down, but the vast majority are struggling with this just among the lawyers and getting them to team and cross-sell. I use that. I don't love to use the word cross-sell, but it, just to be simple, we are talking about bringing multiple practice, you know, areas of expertise to bear in providing solutions to clients, not, you know, not just single practice group. So you want to be looking for those kinds of things for an environment in which a, you know, non-billing person, and they could formally, you know, they could be a recovering lawyer, as we like to say, it does, it's not about whether they're a lawyer or not, but a, a non-billing person comes in and can participate. We here have decided, and I think many firms probably have, that client credit is a, is a non-issue with the salesperson, okay? So no, that person doesn't take credit away from any particular lawyer. But then the very next question that comes up is, okay, so if you've got this person out in the market representing the firm and they uncover a relationship or an opportunity, how is that being routed and funneled within the firm? Because, again, we don't have robust structures for that compensation model and sharing. And again, many firms don't. So how would that work? And what I'll say in, in our particular case is I'm just trying to put a structure in place that when we have that person, that a small contingent of lawyers will help adjudicate that so that it's not going to come to the salesperson to make that decision alone and therefore get banged for by someone for why are you not routing opportunities to me and why did it go to someone else? Is At least I want to take that away from being the sole responsibility of that person. Although I want that person to have a really good eye for that. 
that's why we hired them to sort of know that my point about the Jerry Maguire piece, right? It's like, who is the, the right lawyer? I found when I had that role and played, played Jerry Maguire, you know, one of the biggest pieces of value I could give to the client to the client, right? I'm trying to add value to the client, not just be the person doing sales, is that I know what my lawyers are doing. So when they tell me what their need is, I, I'll tell a story about one of the lawyers or a group of the lawyers and the type of work that they do and why it's relevant. And therefore, I got to deliver on that. Those are the people I want you to meet. I mean, you have to rely on my understanding the client need to make that. But on the other hand, as I said, it could be fraught with internally, you know, uh, a lack of fairness or just sort of how that, how that is adjudicated, as I mentioned. But on, on the compensation, attorneys can't fit, uh, split fees, right? Which makes it difficult because most, most salespeople who are traditional salespeople, they get a commission, they want a percent of any, any job, but that doesn't work. So either how do you find someone as a salesperson who's willing to simply take a straight salary? And then on the other side, how do you convince the partners that that fixed salary is going to have to be relatively significant because they're giving up what could be a significant amount of money on percentage of big deals? Certainly. I, I mean, someone who has a sales career in another industry is going to be used to, yes, a fixed salary, but generally speaking, they're going to be more focused on the, on the incentive compensation piece, right? I mean, that's, that's what you want. That's what you want them to be motivated by. If the fixed salary is too big, they're not motivated to go out and make sales if they're making it anyway. So, so that, that is the type of person who's used to that is, is the one you want, <laughs> motivated to make sales. And as you say, law firms have a challenge of not being able to pay a quid pro quo commission, can't split fees. And that's different than at the big four. I remember, you know, we had a very explicit form by which partners could evaluate and sign off on mine and their salespeople's contribution to revenue. And then once that was done, there was a, you know, it calculated a number that was my book of business and I got paid against that book of business. So that, that is not what we do in law firm land there. I can tell you, I, you know, it's one of those sort of closely guarded secrets in a way. So law firms that are doing this probably don't want to give you, you know, give you the ingredients to how they are incentivizing and compensating uh, their salespeople because my own experience with this is you're dealing with a base salary and a bonus, and you can call it a discretionary bonus. But to your point, you know, that's a little vague by itself. And anyone who is a bona fide salesperson is going to say, no, 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 I don't want to hear discretionary bonus. I mean, I need, I need a lot more fidelity than that, right? Because if I bring in business, I want to get paid on that business. But look, you can get there. I mean, I've gotten there. A set of key performance indicators that can be codified in the sense of this, these are the KPIs by which we will measure whether you get your bonus, which is discretionary. You can call it discretionary, but it's not just, well, it'll be dependent on whether we think you did a good job or how well the firm does. That's, that's never going to satisfy, in, in my opinion, a true high-level salesperson. Never going to. Uh, that combined with the lack of experience that law firms have hiring salespeople, the lack of structure, just, just again, a sense of how all this is going to work. You're just never going to attract the kind of person that you think you want with, with all those factors. So you got to get there. And I remember taking months to negotiate a contract at my last firm with someone to get that just right, where they were confident enough that they'd get paid based on what was in their employment agreement on the KPIs and the discretionary bonus without it being, we're going to measure your book of business. And when it's whatever it is, you're going to get X percent. You just, you just can't do that. And it, it is a challenge. All right, so let's step away from the challenges. Uh, let's close on the good things. Looking at sort of the macro environment that we're in right now, 
We're at the end of a huge bull market. A lot of law firms are doing really well. That's not going to last forever. And a lot of firms are going to be trying to bring in more business, I imagine. Um, and it's going to become more difficult. So what are some of the, the benefits that bringing in perhaps salespeople now or exploring it now when things are good versus waiting until times are tough and there's a scramble for work, you know? Um, what, what is the, the selling, the, uh, you know, the, the key selling points of bringing that uh, external-facing salesperson in now? Bringing someone in. Yeah. Well, let's face it. Um, okay, economy, good, good environment for legal services, but this is not an expanding market. So we can say times are good, but they're actually not good for everybody. They can't because the market is in, in the U.S. is not increasing. Now, globally, there are markets that are increasing. So if you're in a global firm, that story is, has a little more complication to it. But generally speaking, for U.S.-based firms, you have to go steal market share. That's, whether the economy is good or not, that's the, that you're getting new business by taking share away from someone else. And again, it, this, this is an, almost an obvious point to make. But how do you do that? And we all kind of know, if you're in this business, that this is not about differentiating by legal expertise. My lawyers are better than theirs. Not true, not sustainable, very vague. And clients are in the driver's seat. There are plenty of lawyers to do the work. They can hammer you on fees. They can hammer you on process, alternative fee arrangements, all kinds of things, right? So the differentiation, we believe, and I say we not just our firm, but I believe the industry, the industry of legal marketing, if you will, believes this is about you know really understanding the client enough to deliver business value. And I'll go back to the point I made before. Lawyers, as they're doing work, particularly in this environment where we're busy, have to stay focused on delivering good work. They can't be spending every day researching, understanding the market and the clients and their business by themselves. There's no way, there's not enough hours in the day to do all that work. And so if you believe, if you subscribe to this premise that you're going to have to steal share and the way to do that is to prove to a prospective client that you know more about their business to deliver more value to them, then you need professionals. You need dedicated people and you need, and you need professionals who know how to do that. And when I say know how to do that, I mean, on the surface, it's obvious. Do research, understand your client. It's not just about that. I mean, hire people who, who already have that knowledge from perhaps other industries. In, in legal, you know, the first other industry you often look at for business support is going to, you know, if you go outside of industry, is sort of the accounting consulting firms, the big four and second tier of those, maybe banks, financial services, and then you get to technology firms. But the further away you go, the fewer examples of successful integra you know, integration or adoption, right? The, the model. The models change. And, and so that's why there's just so much retread within law firms. You hire someone. Oh, at least they understand law firms. And they understand how law firms are structured, so we'll hire them out of our competitor, right? We want so someone who does XYZ. We'll take the person who did XYZ at our competitor firm. But again... The problem there is, you know, there's a lot of, and you could say this generally, right? People have access to the same information. We have legal marketing association, all kinds of associations to share. And I got to tell you, I met a lot of these things. We share pretty liberally what we're doing. I, I almost wonder if we're, you know, if we shouldn't be doing that. But on the other hand, that's, it's, it's quite valuable to hear what other people are doing. And therefore, we're all kind of doing the same things in a way, tactically. And some firms are, 
you know, ahead of the curve, behind the curve a little bit more. But still, access to the what should we be doing is not a barrier. It's got to be relationships and and real business knowledge. That has to be the differentiator. And we know that from every client feedback interview that's ever been done. Certainly in the last 10, 20 years, it is not differentiation on my capital markets lawyers are better than theirs, so you hire us to raise your funds or, or do whatever. That is not where you're going to win the work, generally speaking. It's going to be, look at that person's bio, look at the work they've done for similar clients. When it comes to doing transactional work, look at the deals they've worked on and understand our business. And again, that's, that's, that's where the mandate for hiring that higher level ability to be market-facing person comes from. That was super. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Legal Marketing Studio podcast. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. And thank you to our listeners who've joined us for this episode. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. The Legal Marketing Studio can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And wherever you find us, please leave a like or a review. Extended content, including photographs and links, can be found on our website, legalmarketing.studio. Note that there's no .com. It is just legalmarketing.studio. The Legal Marketing Studio is a production of Picture More Business, a full-service corporate photography studio focused on the legal industry, based in Brooklyn, New York, and working with clients nationally. More information can be found at picturemorebusiness.com. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.